You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast, season 9, episode 60, which seems crazy. I think that's probably by far the, the longest one we've had in terms of our season. And that's when no football went on. So I'm John, um, and joined by John. How you doing? <laughs> Evening, John. How you doing? Yeah, good. Hi, good. Good yeah. effort on uh, Thursday. Flying solo with Dave Glass. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, yeah, it was a, a really enjoyable one. Very educational. Getting to learn a wee bit more about the Lowland League and a bit more about the women's game. Um, and speaking of which, we'll just um, mention quickly. Best wishes to Claire Shine at. Um, Glasgow City because she's been going through a bit of an ordeal just now so um, if anyone from Glasgow City is listening hope she gets better soon. Yeah absolutely uh, and we're on for another kind of educational moment tonight um, something maybe we've got not be bit interest in from kind of looking at coaches and stuff like that but we've got Head of SFA Coaching and Educational Development Greg Patterson on. How are you doing Greg? Very well thanks John good to be here good to see you John. Hi I know we've been exchanging emails for about a month or so um, so we appreciate you kind of contacting us first of all to say you were keen to come on. Um, we like getting a different kind of take on Scottish football and something maybe we've not got as much knowledge of. So yeah. aye, it'd be good. Uh, that's, I think that's quite often an important one for coach education. It is often a kind of best kept secret, I often call it coach education. You know, a lot of people, you know, you hear about people doing their badges. Now, I've never seen a badge in my life, but, you know, everybody talks about going to do these badges. So <laughs> quite often a it's quite often a mystique that's out there, so we'll maybe chat through things this evening, see how we go. Aye, so it's not like a wee badge you get at Scouts, like with your A-license or that, no. <laughs> exactly, no, never, seen one. never seen one in my life. You need to create one, that, that would be the new thing. <laughs> the badges. Aye, do we end up getting sold on eBay or something like that for, for silly money? But, uh... To be fair, the SFA badges changed so many times over the years, so... Just a few times, yeah, changed a few. Um, so kind of first of all, how you been kind of coping with lockdown and stuff like that? Has it been much different for yourself? It's been it's been very different. It's been very different. We would normally be kind of based at Orium this time of year for maybe a period of four or five weeks delivering all our UEFA license courses. So it's been it's been it's been very different. We've been homebound as you know. The kind of date of Friday the thirteenth of March, I think, will be forever etched in my in my memory. Friday the thirteenth of March, twenty twenty. That was when football effectively stopped in Scotland. Um, we then managed to get a couple of things done that weekend and then Tuesday the 17th of March, well, I suppose we were kind of sent home, if you like, from, from Hamden. So we've been working at home since then and it's uh, it's been very different. It's been very different. You know, normally we would be out a lot at weekends, out a lot of evenings, um, delivering coach education courses and I said even being kind of resident through at Orium in Edinburgh, um, delivering UEFA B licence, UEFA licence, uh, licence assessments. But um, that's not been the case. So we've been working hard. The team's done great. We've worked very hard to get as much as we possibly can online during that time. It's been stressful. It's been heavy going. It's been you know long sleepless nights trying to get a try to get a good product that we could trust to get online. But we eventually got there, and um, certainly certainly the attendance figures and the interest in what we're doing speaks for itself just now. So um, no, we're, we're starting to we're, we're definitely seeing the, the fruits of that labour and. Um, I think, what are we now? Are we 14 weeks in? Which is just incredible. Yeah, so, I think um, I'd read earlier. Is it something like uh, you've had a record amount of interest in coaching this year? About 
over a thousand numbers registering for courses. We normally get we normally get about ten thousand. We normally get about ten thousand per annum. Um, but certainly the interest, you know, we've we've managed to do things just with Scottish FA staff. We would normally rely on a lot of delivery partners, you know, through local authorities and, and football clubs. You know, what you'll know is the network of development officers, perhaps, to, to help supplement the delivery, particularly at level one and level two. We've not had that this year, um, and as well as some of the Scottish FA staff being furloughed, um, we've done our best, our very best as we can with um, with our skeleton staff. So, no, I don't think we've I don't think we've increased numbers certainly, but um, you know, certainly all the courses have been fully booked, and there's people clambering to get on them, which is which is a good sign, and you know, certainly creates that hype. Yeah, we had David McCracken on last week. He was mentioning he's doing his A licence. Um, yeah, he's been right. enjoying it. That's right. Good. Good, yeah, he was on for, he's a couple of weeks ago now. Um, yeah, he was certainly on the e-licence and, you know, that was, what we essentially did was lifted, we lifted all the theory stuff um, that we would normally do. We would normally do, let's say, a theoretical lecture in the morning. We've gone to pitch during the day and then maybe a theoretical lecture in the evening. That was how normally an e-licence would work. So what we did was we lift those kind of theoretical morning and after, morning and evening sessions out and we put them online. So that's the way we've operated. So it was a lot of time on Zoom, it was a lot of time, but, you know, there was a lot of good things about it as well. Um, you know, I think people come on with a lot of apprehension, but as I said earlier, but I think we built a good product that, that people kind of trusted and liked and, and quite enjoyed themselves as well. You know, you're in the comfort of your own home and, um, you know, there was a lot of work in between, you know, even overnight and things like that to get ready for the following day, the tasks and assignments that the participants had, like Davey. So um, yeah, that's that's exactly what we did. So it was certainly busy times. Yeah, he had said as well. We had to mention to you about the the team behind the team. Yes. He yes. he was particularly keen on that. He liked it. Yeah. The boy Steve Salas works with us now. Steve's um, I don't know what his exact title is actually, Steve Salas, but it was Russell Martin that introduced me to him. Russell uses him kind of almost as a consultant for the work that Russell does at MK Dons and. Um, Steve's uh, he's written, I see you've got a few books behind you there, John, but Steve's yeah. certainly written a book called Educating Football, which might be worth which might be worth reading. So right, okay. we invited Steve in to talk to us. He talks about he's got a he's got a great background. He's been he's been kind of assistant managers a couple of times himself. He's been head at Millwall, but before he sorry, head of youth at Millwall. Before he before he did all that, he was uh he was a vice principal in big schools in London. So he thinks differently. Um, not your typical kind of educational psychology type fella, but he thinks he thinks differently. He just it's just it's basically people people management. So that was a question he posed as anyway was, what's more important? Um, I think was it what's more important? Was it the head coach or the or the team behind the team or maybe even the the team or the team yeah. behind the team? So it created a great debate as you can imagine from the from the license guys on the on the course. Aye, good stuff. Um. So, in terms of adapting, what's the, the main adapting? Had you used a fair bit of Zoom before? Do you tend to do use that anyway, one of the, or not? No, um, Richie Wilson. Richie's one of our coach education managers. Richie's got good contacts over in um, Canada, so he got in touch with Bobby Lennox. That that date, as I said, of the seventeenth of March, when we realised, oh shit, that's us. We're going home. What, what do we do here? How do coach <laughs> education courses continue? Richie got on the phone to Richie got on the phone to to Bobby. Ten minutes later, we were on a Zoom call with Bobby over in Canada, and he was telling us all about the virtues of how 
they use Zoom, hadn't heard of Zoom until that point. So okay. maybe, I don't know, maybe midday, maybe midday on, on Tuesday the 17th of March was the first time I'd heard of Zoom. Um, and that's the kind of, we kicked on just because the, the Canadian Soccer Association were, were talking so well of it. Um, and then we decided to, to use it and adapt it as, as best we possibly can. We did look at other platforms, obviously, but Zoom probably tended to be the, the most user-friendly for us. Yeah, well, my son, he's actually been doing some of the coaching with the SFA himself. He's been doing yeah. the, the goalkeeping 1.2. Super, um, super. So he was at the webinar as well with Alan Kelly and Nuno Sante, so he really enjoyed it. Friday nights ago, yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah I kind of recommend it, definitely. Good, good. One thing for him Thanks. that's... A, been advantage as he normally kind of works maybe the times the coaching courses would be on so that's where the, the online stuff's really worked out for things like that yeah absolutely things like that have worked very well you know um people people working shift patterns you know it's, it's just made a lot of things more accessible you know i got a fantastic email from a lad that stays in rothsey and he just couldn't believe his luck because normally he would need to jump on a ferry and then get a train and try and get his, his way to glasgow but as i said earlier now he sits in the comfort of his own home and um you know, able to do his coach education courses, which is which is great. Don't get me wrong, we'll hit we'll hit, we'll hit the buffers. A few courses have hit the buffers. You know, we, and I use that phrase as an analogy because we do need to go on the pitch. We obviously yeah. do. You know, like Sir David McCracken there, we've probably done as much as we can on the A license. We now need to get them on the pitch. We now need to work on the pitch and do coaching practice. Um, but you know, it's certainly allowed us during these times to do as much as we can online. Sure. Yeah, um, I mean, this is also a diff, um, the time of year where you'd be getting ready to do your um, summer summer skills program with the, with the skills finish um, finishing yeah. up. But obviously, that's not going to happen. So, um, how how big a blow has that been to um, the SFA at this stage? I mean, it's, I mean, it's a huge blow, isn't it? That can I, I always talk about the, the loss of community, um, and I'm sure Paul McNeil, when he was on, would have spoke about that to you guys a lot. You know, and the power, the sort of power of football and encapsulating the, the, the minds and imaginations of the young kids. So for them not to maybe have a, a summer holiday programme is, you know, is probably a tough one. We don't we don't necessarily deliver summer holiday programmes with Scottish FA and that would be more Paul's you know, where I'm coach education, Paul's um right. I think Paul's Paul's role's head of community development at, at last check. So that would be a little bit, you know, that would sit more under his remit. But you know, even even like I take my two I take my son's teams I stay in Troon and I help out with Troon Thistle and, you know, even I was thinking, oh, we'll do, we'll do a couple of weeks and I'll take a couple of weeks off in the summer and take the kids, you know, get them in at nine o'clock every morning for a week or even things like that. You just, you know, it's, it's, it's hard going that that, you know, that just won't happen now, which is sad. As kids, I mean, my, my son was doing uh, football co- coaching every Saturday and mm-hmm. for the last couple of months it's been... Um, with me, and I'm not. I don't have a qualification to to teach him. I don't have the ball yeah. skills. Um, but I think he's enjoying think it. To be fair, we're doing our best with him. Um, no, he's the... I think that's all you maybe need to do. Is, as you say, John, do your best. I think we get caught, uh, and sometimes, sometimes I'll, I almost talk myself out my title. You know, head of coach education, and I think, I think guys like yourself, you know, with your son, you don't need to be a coach. You just need to be a helper or a facilitator or a half decent bloody parent. You know, and get them out in the back garden or get them in a patch of grass and just, just help them kick the ball about and just, just have fun with it. And that's that's where I get quite a coach. You know, you've got to be, a, you don't need to be a coach. You know, I think coach, coach throws up 
perceptions like Klopp and Guardiola and Stevie Gerrard and Neil Lennon. It, it, it doesn't need to be that. You know, it just as I said, it just needs to be an aid or a, a helping hand that can that can pass the ball back and forth or, you know, just give you a wee G up to run between two markers or dribble the ball between two bloody rocks in your, in your back garden. That's all, that's all it might be. Yeah, I think that's something that Paul touched on when he was on as well was the coaching element from a, a younger age. It's not about coaching so much. It's about just having fun and making sure that you get involved in the sport and getting involved, being active as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's the key. Fun, engagement, enjoyment, and as you say, John, you know, making them or getting them active, that, that's it. That's it in a nutshell. I think maybe maybe even from my own perspective, looking back at, you know, the start of lockdown, I maybe did too much with my, with my own boys. I mean, my, my my boys are eight and six, and I maybe did I maybe did too much with them, um, you know, because then they maybe never kicked a ball for three or four weeks after because it was just every day, right, let's go outside, let's go outside, let's do, a you know, 45 minutes of football, let's do four maybe you know should I just left them maybe you know there's yeah. no there's no right or no wrong and it's just getting that it's just getting that balance and you in love with the game keeping up or playing a game of Wally or, or whatever it is Wally that yeah. takes me back World Cup doubles and singles that sort of thing yeah. brilliant brilliant can I get a game of World Cup yeah they can still play that though well, copy doubles in that. Not sure. I'm you not see, sure. I, I'll be honest. We've got a big park, football park up near us. You hardly ever see any kids on these pitches. And it's a, it's a free one. It's just a normal park. It's not like it's a, a, a sports complex or stuff like that where you see a lot of teams playing that the actual grass pitches you can look about and they're hardly ever used. Whereas every uh, day, after school, down the, down the park, give a world cup of doubles, whatever, or you give a team's a libbies. Like seven and by and stuff like that. Just don't don't know. Seven buys is another classic. I just think I just think that's so so much society's changed. That you, you know, it's it's not it's not just your grass park, unfortunately, John. It's it's everybody's grass park. You know, if I drove around Trun, you don't you don't see you just you just don't see it the way you know we saw it when we were growing up. As you say, you could have walked to any park and got a game anywhere, and, and now you just unfortunately just don't see it. Ah, oh, definitely. You could just turn up even as well yourself and just get a game of football. <laughs> You split, can I get a game? Aye, when you go. No problem. Aye, it's brilliant. You were in, you were in. That was it. Aye. Even better if you had a ball with you as well, that would help. <laughs> I guarantee you a game. Uh, you a game. So what was your own introduction then into the SFA in terms of what you do just now? Have you been with SFA for a while? Well, I mean, a lot of people, you, you maybe hear the term uh, football development officers. I started as a football development officer or, or even before that, I started... I really started 1996. Yeah, 1996 when I did my my first year at university, my first year placement um, was in East. Ren- I got sent to East Renfrewshire Council and posted with the development officer there, who was John Brown at the time. John okay. Brown's now the the regional manager in the southwest region. And um, so it was basically John had just started. I think it was only in the job maybe ten days. So it was great. It was great for me as a young student to get this football development program running in East Renfrewshire Council and um, from that moment on and in my second year placement I went with Tony Doherty who you know well as, as Aberdeen fans obviously yeah, Tony yeah. Dock was the Tony Dock was the football development coordinator for North Lanarkshire Council so I went to work with Tony for three months Tony had done the same university degree as I was doing sporting the community yeah. at Jordan Hill and Tony grabbed me and he said second year second year placement you've got a big second year placement I think it's three months 
can't remember, I'm pretty sure it was three months. Tony says to me, you're, you're coming to me, you're coming to me, which was just great. So John Brown for four, five, six weeks, something like that in the first year, and then Tony Dock for, for that period of time in, in the second year, as I was doing all my studies. So that, I just aligned all my studies to the work of a football development officer and to get, to get experience with guys like John Brown and, and then and then Tony Dock was just was just fantastic. And that just from that from I suppose those kind of years onwards, I always just wanted to be a football development officer. So when I graduated, I was then football development officer for Dumfries and Galloway Council for a couple of years and then and then up to Glasgow for, for four years. Brilliant. So is that be it something was that something that you always wanted to get into then? Like from an LA or was it? The reason I'm telling that story is I probably didn't even know about the role of a football development officer until literally you know to report to John Brown at 9am on Monday morning. I didn't know who John Brown was. I didn't. There was no job title. There was nothing. It was just turning up at a council office and asking for this fella called John Brown. Never knew who he was. Never knew it was Craig Brown's son. And then all of a sudden, you know, sitting chatting to John and, and that and that was me. Um, you know, probably. You know, looking back on it, I always knew I wanted to be involved in sport. Always knew invo- I wanted to be involved in sport, but I didn't probably know exactly what what way, shape, or form. You know, I probably thought oh, playing a wee bit, at, you know, lower leagues, and even when I say lower leagues, it was bloody reserve team lower leagues. <laughs> playing a wee bit at that, and then you know, all my mates were applying for for university, and I was going, well, I better apply for university as well. What do you want to do? Sports, right? Okay, sports science. That was the only thing you would Google. It wasn't even Google back then. Yeah. You know, a bloody prospectus, and you used to look up the index at the back. See what sports, <laughs> sports, sports science, right? I'll do sports science, and that was just a waste of time because I arrived at Glasgow Uni. My my um, my degrees, my my higher results were decent, so I got me into Glasgow Glasgow Uni, and then I, I rocked up at Glasgow Uni on the day one. And they talked about doing um. The guy said, the advisor of study says to me, Yo, you want to do sports science? Aye, absolutely, sports science. But he says, well, you'll need to do chemistry and biology in first year. I need to do chemistry. <laughs> Hadn't he done chemistry and biology at high school? Never mind doing it at first year. So <laughs> it, was, it was torture. It was torture. And then thankfully I managed to get into that sport and the community degree in the second year. So as I say, I always know I wanted to do sport. I didn't know what I wanted necessarily to do. A lot of pals, a lot of guys were maybe going to do PE teaching, but I just, I just didn't, I didn't fancy PE teaching either. I just, I'm not the type of person that I don't think can, can drive to the same place for nine o'clock every morning and leave the same place at half past three every day and you know do the same thing day in day out. I'm just not that. Yeah. I'm just not made like that. So, wanted something with a wee bit of difference. Um, so, so I, so that kind of, that's how the kind of football development officer type role came about. And then when I went to when I did the football development officer role in Glasgow, I kind of concentrated or, or looked after the coach education program, and then that kind of kicked on, and that allowed me to get the job. Then that experience allowed me to get the job in Ireland as, as their coach education manager, and then obviously back to Scotland in, in this role, which has been great. So, how long have you been the current role? Four and a half years I've been back now. Aye, four and a half years. Aye, Valentine's Valentine's Day. <laughs> Aye, so you're about four. Well, not four, four, not quite four and a half, but just over four. Excellent. And how much are you enjoying it? Oh, I love it. I love it. As I say, it's just all, it's just always so different. Even this, you know, you're asking earlier on about this lockdown period. You know, even the last, 
even the last three and a half, four months almost, it's just it's just been so different. But every day is so different. Um, you know, it's great being able to build new initiatives. It's great being able to do to try and develop new courses. And I'm I'm quite I don't know what kind of strive to be better all the time. I strive to you know you know and the team are good. The, the coach education team that I mentioned earlier are really good for that as well. They want to make things better and better all the time. So no two days are ever the same, and we've constantly got that drive to you know make the courses the the very best we can. And hopefully, you know we won't. Scotland as a nation won't see the fruits of that labour now. Not even in six months. Not even probably in one year or two years. You know that's. It's long-term stuff that we're we're doing it for, but um, you know, hopefully they will see the fruits of that labour in in years to come. Yeah, I think the latest that I saw was there's an initiative with Napier University, a coaching degree mm-hmm. that's been set up. That's right. It's, I mean, that's a that's a slow burner in itself, isn't it? So what we've managed to do there is embed UEFA license qualifications alongside their studies. You know, for if, for example, if I take it back to my own university journey. Um, I kind of did my, my UFB license alongside, not with the university, but, you know, in my own time, I did yeah. my UFB license. Um, so what we'll now do is we've partnered up with them so that we can work more closely with the students as they do both their university degree and their, and their UFA coaching licenses. So it's a fantastic partnership. You know, one's embedded with the other. We're embedded with Napier as much as Napier are embedded with us. And, um, you know, if, if we've got an opportunity to work with, you know, let's say 30 odd for hopefully 40 students on that course, then, you know, I, I like to use the phrase match, they'll be kind of match ready in four years time, you know, to go into working youth academies, to with girls and women's football clubs, to work in community programmes. So it'll just be, you know, four years, what would that be? So what are we now, 2020? So 2024, June 2024, potentially, you know, 40 students coming out of that that are well qualified with a degree background. And they're not doing a generic sports degree, they're doing a football degree and they've got maybe a UEFA B licence, a UEFA youth B licence and a couple other badges, <laughs> um, you know, under their, under their belt. And then, you know, it's fantastic, just a fantastic opportunity and one I think that will kind of, one that will change the landscape of the, you know, the coaching coaching workforce, if you like, throughout Scotland. Yeah. Uh, your colleague Paul's asked me to ask you about the launch of the Bank of Scotland project with Archie Knox. Mm-hmm. That was good of him. <laughs> I'm surprised I don't know what's that about. <laughs> aye, so, bloody hell, Paul's gone back a long time there, so Archie's a funny man. Archie's the type, of, you know, that chatting earlier there about we would normally be at Orium for four or five weeks, and this time of year, Archie will always appear. He just loves being around the courses. He just loves seeing the young coaches and see how they're getting on, and, you know, I'm saying young, they're not all young, as you know, but the guys that are going through their B licence and A licence, Archie will always come down and spend a bit of time. He's a funny, funny man. You know, we'll maybe get a meal with him. This so we've <laughs> definitely missed out on that this time of year. Anyway, back to the Bank of Scotland lunch. So, I think, did Paul organise, I think Paul maybe organised Archie. I got a phone call on the old Nokia's. It's that long ago. The old Nokia. <laughs> he says, I've got Archie Knox coming down. I've got Archie Knox coming down. Now, back, the Bank of Scotland launch was for S1 and S2 kids. So you're talking 13, 14 years old. <laughs> Archie Knox was the Scotland under 21 manager at the time. Now, I didn't know Archie. So Archie comes down with the head of communications from Glasgow City Council because I was I was a football developer for Glasgow at the time. Launching this big Bank of Scotland. So it was basically S1 football. 
try to get all the kids together at Glasgow Green to play games against one another to try and reinvigorate schools football at that level. Edacom says, hi Greg, this is Archie, Archie, this is Greg. And uh, his first words, he shakes my hand and then he just looks at me with that steely kind of stare that Archie's got. Am I going to find a player here, son? He says to me. And I says, well, probably not Archie because we're 13 <laughs> and 14 years old. Right. Get the fucking pictures taken and get me out of here pronto, he says. <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh, that was my kind of baptism of fire with Archie. <laughs> Uh, we've had some guests on they've spoken about Archie Knotts and how Archie Knotts and Fergie used to go to a lot of the youth games anyway so I think they were always in the eye for, eye for a player anyway whatever age they were they were I, but I think I don't know if Archie maybe had different things on that day but when I told him they were only 12 and 13 years old didn't he <laughs> they weren't going to get a game for his under 21 team put it that way <laughs> so the role itself that you do just now how could you best explain it how can I best explain my current role? Chaotic, chaotic bedlam, pandemonium. Um, but but I suppose thoroughly enjoying, thoroughly enjoyful, and um, and and very kind of satisfying. I suppose that's that probably that's probably the five words to sum it up. It's just, as I said earlier, it's, it's you know it's it's funny if I ever hear my wife at a party then what does your husband do for a living? Um, it kind of coaches the coaches, I think, a little bit. For <laughs> uh, these courses on, I don't know. She says I never see them. That's probably how the conversation goes. So that's that, that maybe sums up my job quite well. Yeah, no, I understand that one. I've got a kind of a job title whereby when you say it to the folk, they're like, "What?" So I just make up a different title so that they understand right. it. Right. It's the best trainer. thing to do. I'm a dolphin trainer. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I'm a podcaster. <laughs> ah well, I. If only I got paid for it, eh? Oh, um, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so in terms of obviously Scotland's got a high profile with coaching in terms of reputation, obviously the whole log situation and different things like yeah. that. Yeah. Who's the kind of most high profile kind of guys you've come through in your time that's, that's there? Well, in my time, well, just recently, Costinha graduated from the pro licence, so Costinha's been fantastic. He he came through the B licence, the A licence, and, and, and now the pro. Um, not all my time I hasten to add probably just, just the pro licence in fact I shared the pro licence with him and then he had to come back and do bits and bobs so Castina has been fantastic um, like a photo yeah, yeah he won the, won the yeah. Champions League when we you know, played with Monaco we've actually done a podcast with him there's a there's a plug for you um, he played with Monaco he's just unbelievable 50 odd caps for Portugal runners yeah. up in the, in, the, in the European Championship so and just a lovely man. And his story's fantastic. You know, he talks about he's not a typical high profile ex player that probably wants to win at, you know, the, the top level. He wants to go in and, you know, get a kind of Portuguese equivalent of Albion Rovers and, and see how far he can he can take them. And I just I just love that story. You know, he doesn't want to go and take Porto or Benfica or Sport Lisbon when probably he could because of his profile. Yeah, um, because of his qualifications now, he wants to go in, you know, take a, take, which is just, I just think it's great, and then see how far he can take that team, and, and obviously, and he's had, he's had two or three jobs as well, and he's a, he's a big offer. So, Castinha's one, but you know, I, I kind of, I, I just pinch myself sometimes, you know, I'm, you know, chatting to Stephen McManus earlier, you know, guys like guys like Stephen that have come through courses, and I'm forgetting names here, guys, but you know, even. You know, even last week on the on the A license, you know, we're working with we're working with Steve Keane, Jack Ross, 
Robbie Nielsen, even Shelley Kerr. Um, you know, it's just fantastic the people that we attract and the people that want to work with us to, to help, to help. And that, that's a big thing. Everybody, everybody wants to help. So you're asking about high profile players, but I just love all these. I just love these kind of Scottish guys that you're probably a bit like yourself. You're probably watching sports scene every week or even went to a game and been shouting them on as, as Scotland players and, and things like that. You know, guys like guys like Kenny Miller and Mark Burchill and uh, Sean Maloney's and, as I said, Stephen McManus and, you know, Graham Murty and, and all these guys, you know. just It's just fantastic. Yeah. And I guess they all have their different aims in terms of what they do. Like you're saying, Castina, he wants to go in at a kind of lower level, whereas you'll get maybe some guys near Sean Maloney up. Well, still at Belgium, isn't he? Belgium, Belgium Belgium assistant there's Kenny Miller, he got a job, you know, well, he got a job straight away at Livingston almost, didn't he? Player manager. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's now over assistant manager at um, Newcastle Jets, isn't it? Over in Australia. Yeah. So you, all these guys have got hugely different pathways, hugely different pathways, but they've got that profile that, that opens the door for them. And it's just, I suppose, the world's their oyster, really, about what they want to do and where they want to take themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So many, how many kind of registered coaches are there in Scotland just now? Roughly, would you say? Do you know? I've no clue. I've no clue. Paul, Paul, Paul McNeil, phone him. Have you got him? Have you got him in speed aye, dial? Aye, I'll get him. <laughs> oh, John, you could get him in speed dial, aye. That's one of the things that we can speak about as well, or maybe does Scotland have enough coaches? We've got brilliant coaches. If you look at, you know, like look at down south and look here, across the world, the amount of really good coaches that we've got. Um, so... But they always... yeah, and that's the thing. We try and make our courses as accessible as we possibly can, to, so we, we, you know, as you say, so that more and more people are maybe appropriately educated and you know appropriately qualified to to go and take all these teams at these at these different levels. So I remember statistics. I think there's statistics in Germany, isn't there? That is there one B license coach. I don't know. I'll get this wrong. One B license coach to every. 300 registered players or something like that. Yeah. Maybe maybe we are we are not quite as high as that yet, but certainly we're getting there. Certainly we're getting there because there's more and more people doing their B licenses um, now. That's for sure. And UF are now coming up with a C license, so, so that'll be the next thing. You know, people will want to get that UF or C license when they're working in the grassroots game. So it'll just keep improving all the time. Do you work closely with uh, Malcolm McKay with the Project Brave? Absolutely, yeah. Malky, Malky's head of performance department. Um, Andy Gould's the head of our football development department. And then I kind of sit head of head of coach education alongside Andy. But um, yeah, we we try and do Andy and myself try and do as much as we possibly can with with performance. So if you think about our coach education pathway, you start as a grassroots coach, which is which is basically you know back to back to your previous podcast with Paul. Paul will do all that kind of grassroots community development type work, and then as you increase up the coach education pathway, that's when you start really taking it serious, really looking at coaching as a career, I suppose. Um, and that's where we'll get bridge that gap with with Malky McKay in the performance department. You know, guys like guys like Billy Stark, Scott Gemmell, Brian McLaughlin, all these guys, you know, we'll work very closely with them 
um, you know, I was chatting about guys helping us out there on the on the B license and the A license over the past few weeks. You know, Shelley Kerr, Scott Gemmel, Brian McLaughlin all helped us out in, in different ways on the on the license courses. And then at the pro license level, Malky will be very heavily involved, myself, Andy and, and Scott as well, Scott Gemmel. Yeah, I mean, in in terms of in terms of the media, um, the the project's been given some criticism. In fact, we had John Hughes on a few weeks ago, and he thinks he he mentioned that the um, that it can be a bit elitist because it's only certain clubs involved. Uh, would you um, you know? Can you just explain how how it works for um, you know for those who aren't quite aware and um, respond to yeah, criticism? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're probably you're probably talking about the. The criteria here are you more than anything, is it? Is that what you mean by that? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the criteria is that you know there, there's there's certain clubs meet certain criteria. So let's say I can't remember the exact. There's like there's 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 elite level. There's progressive performance or something like that. Let's just call it gold, silver, bronze for for simplistic right. sakes because I forget. Malky will give me a slap in the wrist, but anyway, call <laughs> it gold, silver, and bronze. So you know, there's there's maybe only nine clubs at gold. So I think that's where this elitist thing comes from. You know, I think that's where, like Sir John Hughes might say, oh, it's, it's pretty elitist because there is only nine clubs out. You know, the 42 senior clubs that are, you know, that that can reach and attain that gold status. Mm-hmm. And there's maybe 17 below that, and another whatever else. So it, it's, you know, but it, it's set there so that clubs can try and aspire to being the very best that they can. And then once you're in that sphere or that criteria, you then play games against one another because you're deemed to be at the best or one of the best academies. Suppose it's born a lot out of the Dutch used to talk a lot about you know the best versus the best. You know, and it's not just the Dutch that talk about that. You know, a lot of people talk about that, but. I'm used to working under two. I worked under two Dutch high performance directors, so I just used to get that blasted all the time at me. You know, the best versus the best, as the Dutch would say. So, <laughs> and and you know, and and it is a bit like that. You know that you know what's the point? And and please excuse me here, and I'm not meaning to be, you know, I'm not meaning to degrade anything at all. But you know, Albion Rovers travelling all the way to Aberdeen just just doesn't make sense. Just doesn't make sense, you know. I, you know, I'm not a kid at Albion Rovers traveling all the way to Aberdeen to probably get beat. Um, you know, with the best will in the world, just doesn't make sense. So, you know, you, the, the thing is that that criticism of it being elite probably probably makes the competition a lot closer because if you're in one of the elite level criteria clubs, then you're more likely to be a better player because you've been attracted by a better club perception now um, but you've you know that the clubs met that criteria therefore they can attract probably the better players which therefore means that you know the, the competition then becomes a little bit fierce now so if you can try and align those competitive structures um, regardless of what level you're playing at you've got a better game the, be- the, the better game you get the better learning the child has or the youth player has in, in that game you know rather than getting beat 14-0 you know you, you see that all the time don't you kids getting cuffed 6-0 8-0 what's what good to either the kid that's get beat or either the kid that's won there's, there's, to me there's not a lot so um, I think that's my kind of best garbled explanation without upsetting anybody or trying to upset anybody Big Yogi would have just went in with two feet and upset people. He wouldn't have been caring, but I'm a wee, <laughs> I'm maybe a wee bit more uh, round the house.
were you obviously the performance skills as well? You're starting to see the rewards of that a wee bit as well with the coaching element, players coming through, playing for professional clubs in the, the top flight. Big time. Big time, you're, you're going to ask me for names, and this is where I always struggle on these kind well, of Dean things. Campbell. Dean Campbell's one for Aberdeen, certainly. Dean Campbell's a good one, right? Dean stands Campbell's out, a good example um, for us, but there's a few coming through. There's a few, you know, Billy Gilmer's, Billy Gilmer's, you know, Billy yeah. Gilmer's one, um, who's, who's just doing fantastically well. Disappointing to see him for Chelsea the other night there, but, you know, you don't know. I know they're getting a lot of players back from injury, a lot of midfielders yeah. back from injury. Um, but Billy Gilmer's certainly a good example. Dean Campbell's another good example. There's a lad that's... Uh, Bayern Munich as well, the centre half. Liam Morrison. Left Celtic. Yeah. Liam Morrison. Uh, Liam Morrison, aye. aye. Yeah. There's, um, who's the lad, used to play centre midfield for Hearts. He's not Cochran. played so much recently. Harry Cochran. Cochran. Harry Cochran, yeah. And Harry Cochran and Billy. There you go, best, you know, that best against the best thing. Harry and Harry and Billy used to push push each other every day, apparently, at the performance schools. Um, yeah, my, so, my yeah, son played against... My son played against Billy Gilmore when he was at school and he says a story they'll be able to tell Focus how Billy Gilmore beat him in overhead kick because uh, he was a goalie. So. <laughs> that's his claim to fame. That's his claim to fame, aye. So. Aye, good, good. I suppose that's been accused a wee bit of being elitist as well. Is maybe taking away the, the street football element, but we spoke away earlier and not really getting that in the parks anyway. What these kids are getting, these. You know, if it, it doesn't matter how many they take each year, it could be eight kids, it could be twelve kids that go to each school in each year group. But what they are getting is essentially they're getting a lot of street football and a lot of practice. Yeah. You know, you, you know, at Hamden, we used to use um, Tory Glenn quite a lot, and, and Brian McLaughlin at the time was the the performance school coach there before Brian took the you know the, the head of the performance schools, and you know used to watch Brian when we were delivering coaching courses at Tory Glenn, and a, a lot of it was you know ball against a wall for 20 don't get me wrong if, if you've only you only eight or nine players so it's not about it's not about tactics all the time it's not about drilling players all the time it's, sometimes it's just about having a good coach that can put and we're back to that fun and enjoyable and putting practices together that you know that can be quite basic as well but the amount of touches those kids were getting the ball every day the amount of exposure that we're getting the amount of good competition that we're getting just in those little game-related practices or conditioned games in that environment. Maybe they're playing against, if they're only in first year, they're playing against the second years or they're mixed play with the third years. All those different things, that they all add up. They yeah. all add up um, and just help just help the kids on their way. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's something that we hear a lot um, as well as Kids are overcoached, and there's not always enough emphasis on on, on playing the game. Um, like, I mean, obviously back back in our day, and the get times have moved on. Kids might have played school football um, as well as with their, their team, but as soon as um, you know, someone says for Rangers or Celtic or Aberdeen, um, they're tied down and they don't get that opportunity as much. I mean, do you think that's something that the SFA are hammering home a bit more that let the kids enjoy it a bit more rather than coaching, coaching, coaching them all the time? I think. I think we've been doing that. I think we've been doing that for years now. I, I really do. Even even back when I was a football development officer, and even when I went over to Ireland to work and keeping one eye on on what we were doing here in Scotland, we've been doing it. We've got a fantastic network of you know of, of regional regional staff that, that try and do that as much as they possibly can through club development managers, through player and coach development managers, and it's so so important. 
you know, the four v four game, the, the five v, you know, four v fours and in that pathway, four v fours and five v fives and seven v sevens, nine v nines, and then and then eleven v elevens. But I mean, I even look at my own kids now, and as I said earlier, and I just I just think, you know, listen to the Belgians, listen to the Belgians. They're, you know, we think we've got it sorted, and we've got the kids playing four v four. And then I chat to Chris van der Hagen in Belgium. Ah, Greg, we're playing two v two now, and I just think. <laughs> we just get four v fours sorted and grounded, you know. And they're talking about two v twos or even one v ones in the clubs. It just and you think there's no, it's no wonder that they are that they are producing the players are producing because they've been doing it. So you're right. It's a lot about I, without a doubt, letting kids play. But you just you just see these, you just see these parents that are maybe they want the best for their son, but they maybe just get carried away. And it's like the kids should just be allowed to play. Should really, really just be allowed to play. And I remember listening to Gordon Strachan recently. I love that story he tells about, you know, the, the, the kid at Air United. I don't know if you've heard him. He was on BBC Sports Sound or something. And he talks about somebody, the, the bloke turning to his wife. It's the living here and they wake up one morning. He says, let's go for a run to Inverness today. A run to Inverness? I don't want to go a run for Inverness. Well, we Johnny's playing up at Inverness today. What's he... Right, okay, what's the weather like in Inverness? Oh, it's pushing down. All oh, right, okay. And what's what's uh, Gemma, his sister up to? Uh, Gemma, I don't know who she's, you'll need to come with us. If we're going to watch B Johnny, Gemma needs to come with us. So he says, and he's right, everything gets packed up in the car to travel all that distance all the way to Inverness. And he's only bloody young. He's only young. So, you know, you work it all out. Here up to Inverness, round trip, how long's that taking? It's nine hours, is it? Something like that. And he's maybe getting 12 touches of the ball in a game, you know, or something like that. You know, he says, Keep him in, keep him in his local environment, and let him play, and let him play. But you know, these this boys' club structure and everything else has just got. I just think sometimes it's got far too beyond us, and it needs to get back to that informality and fun of playing and letting everybody play. And I think Gordon's other point, which struck with me, I think I heard him say this when he was national team manager in the, in the office, was that you know that story about the sister having to go with the mum and dad to watch to watch Johnny as well. The sister might be good at something. She might be good at football, but she might be good at gymnastics. She might be good at, you know, hockey or, or a multitude of other things or even just the ability to hang about with her own friends on that Sunday. But no, she's in the car and she's spending nine hours on her own trip. But, you know, so it's just, I think just everyone, I, can I agree with Gordon in that sense? I just think everyone's a little bit wrong and we just need to, as you've maybe said earlier, John, we need to get back to that fun, informality, playing as best we can, keeping the kids being kids. I mean, do the kids care that they get beat at six, seven, eight, nine? They know they've been beat. They don't need us shouting the ball at them from the sidelines. They just need to play and know, you know, just let them be. Let them be, let them play the same way probably we all did in the park. And don't get me wrong, it's things need adult interventions now. It's just society needs adult intervention. But let's try and do it in the right way um, and give the kids the, the best possible chance we can. Yeah. I think as John was saying earlier, but he think he thinks he's not a, a good coach for his son. There's plenty of parents that think they're great coaches on the sidelines for their comments and stuff like that. Just aye. be quiet and let the, the kids play and let the coaches do their job. The actual coaches. I think so I mean you can give them you can give them wee pointers, can't you? But I, I just think when it becomes overload and it becomes shouting and balling and you know, again an analogy of do you shout shouting ball at your kid when they can't do a three times table? Probably not. You probably try and help them. But for some reason, it's all right to shout and ball at them for football. So, yeah. um, you know, let them enjoy it and absolutely let them. Let, you know, and that's a, that's a big thing as well. They've, they've got to make their own decisions. And 
you know, Chris van der Hagen that I spoke about earlier, the Belgian um, head of coach education, Chris talks about PlayStation football. The kids aren't on the end of a PlayStation control. So why are we commentating? Do this, do that, do the next thing. They're not working on a control. They've got yeah. to make their own decision. And if they can't mm. make their own decision, it becomes and it becomes regulated by a, a parent, then how are they going to get on when the parents know they are or they're playing? They'll, 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 they kind of, you know, they've got to make their own decisions to make their own mistakes to then learn, um, rather than us telling them all the time, do this, do this, do this, do this. No. Do what you think is right and try and learn from that mistake and maybe speak to them. Well, what happened there? What happened? Oh, I try to take it to his left hand side and he's strong his left. Well, next time go to you know, right. So it's a bit of guided learning as well, um, rather than, as I say, tell, tell, tell. Yeah. Sorry, I wanted to talk to you as well. You mentioned earlier about the, the different levels in terms of fours, fives, sevens, nines, and elevens. So is a nine aside thing become a recent thing? Because I remember I had a friend that was a coach. And he was kind of trying to get nine aside going in Scotland because he felt that a lot of other countries were using that because the gap between seven and elevens, especially maybe for a goalkeeper, Huge. is massive mm-hmm. with the goals. Um, but at that point, it, he'd kind of taken a proposal to the SFA and they were they didn't feel they were ready for it at that time. So is that something that's come in recently? The nine I aside? think it's. I think it, I, I'll be quoted wrongly here because my memory is atrocious. But I think it's maybe only two or three years old, John. Yeah. yeah. Uh, certainly in Scotland, and it's interesting because. I think in England they do V8s. I think they've got another step. So other other countries have got you know steps along the way. Um, but certainly the nine v nines. I think when we looked at it, you know, we look at a lot of research, and as you say, you benchmark against different countries. Um, facilities is another one. You've got you know people don't realise that the amount of work that goes into all this kind of decision making. Got to speak to local authorities. Can you get pitches lined? How will that work? How can you, you know, many nine v nine pitches can you get in one big pitch? Can yeah. you get two? You know, so there's all these things come into play. Um, you know, and you now get clubs hopefully playing nine v nine, and then the, the kids that maybe aren't playing, if they've got more than that, can they play four v four in an area beside the pitch as well, so that you're maximising the space. So there's all these, there's all these different, I suppose, different facets come into play. Um, yeah, so. So that's as you rightly say, John. That's the that's the pathway now that now includes the nine v nine game. Good. Um, so you talk, spoke about um, your time in Ireland. Is there much difference in terms of the kind of coaching in Ireland to what it is here? <sighs> difference in terms of the coaching that that's an interesting one. I, th- I think I think from my time in Ireland, the, the guys are quite how can I say this? Probably influenced by GA and rugby. They're, okay, they're, yeah. huge, they're huge competitors, you know, so you've got GA football and GA hurling and you've also got rugby. You know, I remember, you know, sitting watching Ireland, Ireland rugby team do well, as you know, and sitting watching them with some, maybe some of my colleagues this was an incredible experience because they're wanting Ireland to get beaten. I'm saying, what the hell? Why the hell are you want them to beat? If I'm back in Scotland, I'm, I'm desperate for Scotland to win, whether it's at Tiddlywinks or whatever. But they're saying, but Greg, if the, if the Ireland rugby team wins, you know, you're talking about summer holiday programmes earlier, John. If the Ireland rugby team wins, all the kids will go and play rugby during summer holiday programmes. If the Ireland rugby team doesn't win, they'll come and play football. <laughs> you know, it's quite often as well, the, the priest or the parishioner in, in the local community will decide on the sport. You know, in some localities in Ireland, it's still quite archaic. You know, the, the priest will decide, no, no, it's soccer, football, no, that's a, that's, a, that's a foreign sport you're not playing. You're not playing that in this area. 
So I think, to come back to your question, I think that probably influenced a lot of things because maybe a lot of the guys were first and foremost, I mean, certainly it's a, it's a, it's a kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, a, it's an era almost, isn't it? It's a, a cultural thing that's maybe dying away as, as soccer mm-hmm. or football becomes stronger and stronger. Um, you know, they're heavily influenced by the Premier League. You know, we've, we've probably got a stronger league. I always used to be a bugbear of some of my colleagues over there that hundreds of millions of pounds get spent every year or hundreds of millions of euro get spent every year with people going, you know, you go to Dublin Airport, Cork Airport, Galway Airport on a Saturday morning and they're just full of Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal yeah. fans. Full of them. Full of them. You know, and if all these people spent all that money in the League of Ireland, bloody hell. They'd have some chance, you know, or they'd have a better, they'd have a better, um, they'd have a better league, that's for sure, or, a, or at least a more well-attended league, or people reinvesting their money back in the League of Ireland. Whereas, you know, we're probably, you know, we're proud of the fact, that, aren't we, that you know, that Scotland not the best per head of population, is Scotland not the best watched mm-hmm. league or yeah. best attended league in Europe. So, yeah, you know, that's something you know that, that we've got that they didn't have, and that. Funnily enough, that just blew me away when I came back. Was that the industry of the game in Scotland just blew me away? And I should know that because I'm, I'm Scottish. I'm from Scotland. I'd worked in Scotland, but then eight years in Ireland, you know, I would work very, very hard to get twenty odd people, twenty odd people on a B license. Whereas here, twenty odd people on a B license, I'm, I'm, dis- I'm probably disappointed. So, but, but that's changing. It's definitely changing over in Ireland. Soccer is becoming more. I suppose embedded in the infrastructure of, of society, um, whereas maybe mm-hmm. before it, it wasn't allowed to be, as I said, because a lot of the kind of parishioners or, or priests in some of the localities just didn't allow it. So I think, I think a lot of the coaches were, you know, I remember chatting to a lot of the guys I learned a lot from. They used to say they used to say they had to travel over England, they used to have to travel over England to get their education. So a lot of their education was, you know, kind of old style four four two. You know, you think of Jack Charlton, why Jack Charlton did so yeah. well as Republic of Ireland manager because they were like that and because because of the GEA game as well, physical, physical. So the Irish players, you know, you think of any Irish player, everybody thinks of Roy Keane straight away, but look how physical he was. Look at the amount of goalies Ireland produced. Now, is that any mistake because, again, of the rugby and because of the, the, the Gaelic mm-hmm. football? You know, they're used to that kind of hand-eye coordination as well. So, you know, all these things were quite interesting um, during my time over there. Aye. So is there certain countries that um, you look to for ideas or it's just a case of, kind of trying to share as much ideas from different places as, as possible? Aye, I think I think it is. For me, I like to look at Croatia because their, their population is similar. Mm-hmm. I like to look at Iceland. Their population is no similar, but how have they, hell have they managed to do what they've managed to do? Um, Northern Ireland, you know, it's good. We can, you know, you can basically chat the door, England, Ireland, Northern Ireland and Wales because, you know, we've got on well with the guys. We all speak the same language. We're quite fortunate that way. Certainly Belgium's another one. Um, again, population-wise, isn't too far away from what we are, but, you know, they're, 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 they're certainly performing very well. Even Portugal, you know, it's not too... You know, it's, it's difficult to contrast and compare with your Italy and your France and your Germany. Um, and UEFA, yeah. have, UEFA have a lot of good schemes and initiatives that give us the opportunity to learn from others, you know, and sit in the rooms with people, you know, UEFA coaching convention meetings, UEFA share meetings and study groups where, we're, you know, you're, you maybe travel to one country along with five or six of these other countries. 
and it's you know it's, it's always good to it's always good to learn from others. You know, I picked up some Denmark. Denmark's another country I've learned a lot from. Um, Peter Rudbeck's my equivalent over there, and learned a lot from Denmark. So you're right, John. It's it's good to learn. I suppose as much as you can from as many. There's no there's no exact science. You can't just copy yeah. and paste what another country's done. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. And I try to do that to my maybe to my detriment. When I started in Ireland and then very quickly realised that, you know, it just wouldn't work. So um, you've got to, you've got to change and you've got to, I suppose, cut your cloth to suit. Yeah, definitely. Because we've, we've heard this expression so often, um, the Dutch model, let's look at the Dutch model. Well, the Dutch model didn't work for the last two major teams. They didn't make it. They're obviously a better side now. Um, but it's how important is it that you have a, you study these um, other nations, like Belgium, you've mentioned them a couple of times. Um by all means, not copy and paste, but take chunks of it and maybe work something of our own that can work for the future for Scotland. Nah, definitely. And you mentioned Malky Mackay recently. Malky's working on, you know, Shelley Kerr produced a blueprint for the for the girls' movements game, and, and you know, we'll put that down on a desk in front of MD and challenge, you know, and, and try and get that implemented. And Malky's doing that now for the kind of the, the men's side of the game or the boys' side of the game. So they'll produce that kind of Scotland way or Scotland vision, whatever they, whatever they will call it, when when they eventually do launch it. And that's I don't think that's too far away. And that's been that's been years and years in the making as well. You know, and you know they're doing a lot of um, kind of soul searching and navel gazing and looking over fences and, and everything else to make sure that you know Malky was 100%. You know, Malky and all his staff and and us in coach education and football development, um, you know, had their kind of input to that to, to to make sure it was a good fit for us. Was that like in terms of trying to create a kind of Scottish identity in terms of style yeah. of play? Absolutely, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember years ago, you know, going, when I when I started in Ireland, I went over and worked with with Jamie Robinson, who works for the FA. Jamie used to play at Liverpool, and um, I just remember Jamie chat. He chatted a lot about the last four, the last four centurions for England. Now I think at the time it might have been Ashley Cole, David Beckham, Stevie Gerrard got a hundred caps, something like that. I can't remember. That whoever their last four, hundred capped players were. And try to take all the traits that they had. So if Ashley Cole managed to get 100 caps, what did Ashley Cole have that Wayne Bridge never had, for example? What did Steven Gerrard have that, I don't know, Owen Hargreaves never had? And try to work out all those traits and abilities and qualities of that kind of English player that's obviously served them well to get that amount of caps. So you're right, it's that identity that, that Malky's now trying to get for us and you know it's and I try to do that in coach education as well can we get someone who's a UFA licensed graduate and if you saw a, a Welsh licensed graduate graduate coach on one pitch and a Scottish FA graduate coach on another pitch would you be able to tell the other than the accent take the accent away from it would you be able to tell them bloody hell he's from the Scottish FA and he's from the Welsh FA I think that's quite a kind of interesting way of looking at it definitely in you obviously have mentioned uh, Shelly Kerr, so I'll ask, um, over the last four years, uh, have you seen the number of uh, women coaches uh, in, in, increase um, as a result of also the the national team doing well? I think there's been, a, a, we, we've worked hard with the, the international players, some of the international players, we did, I think we had eight of them on a, on a B licence a couple of years ago and now try to get them on to, to E licence where we can. Christy Murray started the D licence recently, so it was good to see her progress from that. 
Um, and I know Leanne Crichton's been in touch, um, as has Joel Murray and, and maybe even Rachel Corsi. So they, they're keen to, to, to keep that going, which is good. Has there been more? Yes, there has. Um, you know, I, I, again, figures I can't get just get that much in my mind, John. I couldn't give you the figures off the top of my head, but they are increasing. Not, not, not probably to the same extent as the participation rates of the girls and women's games. So we do need to do a little bit more. Um, in terms of that and in terms of but what's been nice about the lockdown and doing things on Zoom and I think this is something we'll need to reflect on when we come out of lockdown is that you know I've had a lot of nice emails from girls or, or women that have done the online um, offerings that we've had and they've said they've found it less threatening because it's not you know they, they don't have to go to you know a games hall or a leisure centre that's maybe going to be very male dominated and as I said earlier, I think, you know, they can do it in the comfort of their own home. So I think there's something in that that we maybe need to kind of, as I say, reflect on and do a bit of further research. Because if we can get more female coaches from starting the, the grassroots coach education courses on, on Zoom then or online, then that's, that's something we've definitely got to look at. Do you think it'll be long before you see a female coach um, working with an... Um, one of the senior teams in Scottish football. As in one of the male senior teams? Yeah, because we've obviously seen, like, Scott Bush, the manager of the Glasgow City, that's not something that's too uncommon. Um, but no, no. And I know Shelley's been mentioned for a couple of club jobs before, has, but yeah, um, there's still not been a female coach that's been employed by a Scottish team. And I think that's something that, providing it's on merit, of course, um, something that needs to be a I think you've just, you've hit the nail on the head, haven't you? It's, it's got to be on, you know, it's got to be on merit and, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not sitting in those boardrooms, you know, to to see how they to, how they may be shortlisted and the girls are, you know, are they even applying for these jobs? Did you know some might argue they don't even need to apply? Um, but you know, you're right. It's got to be on merit. I think we've got to get away from this. Oh, it's just a girl that's applied, or it's just a bloke that's applied. You know, it, it doesn't matter. It's got to be. You're right. It's got to be on merit. And you look at you look for like Shelley's achieved now. You know, from from Arsenal ladies to into you know um, Sterling Uni and, and now the national team, then why not imply employ a Shelley care to take to take a senior men's team? Because um, she certainly knows she certainly knows a hell of a lot about the game. She knows how to manage people. She knows how to lead people. Um, so yeah, I think it's just a matter of time, isn't it? It's, it's, it, it probably just needs somebody to grasp that nettle. But it, as you say, John, it does need it does need to be on merit, and people need to recognise that that merit and, and that, that, I suppose, ability that, you know, a, a female coach has. And, and without doubt, there's, there's good female coaches out there. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's some, yes, it's some, the women's game's obviously taking them, um, you know, going up. But I'll move, I'll move on, um, going, going back to the COVID-19 situation, there's obviously oh. a bit of frustration that you're, that we're all doing, although there's been a lot of positives on Zoom, you're not getting out in the pitches. Um, no. I know the government have been, no, last week I think it was what a couple of people could go out and, um, and do a contactless train, but you still can't get out on, on a proper pitch yet. Um, how, how are um, discussions going with the government? I mean, are you involved in any of them, first of all? Right. <laughs> Thankfully not. Thankfully no. That's um, that's kind of Paul McNeil again. We keep mentioning Paul doing this podcast, don't we? That's Paul. Is he your dog's boy? Is that, is that... <laughs> Paul loves. Paul loves a government meeting. Paul loves a government meeting. 
So putting all that, the call, Andy Gould, Danny Bislin through the kind of club work that Danny does, the three of them are heavily involved in speaking to government, liaising with government to see to see if we ever might go. And so I'm close to it in the sense that I probably got a daily phone call from at least one of them getting frustrated about things. But um, other than that, no, that's that's certainly their gig. Yeah, because what was the latest? Is it three three families can play together? Three like families that. can play together, but yeah, they must still maintain that two meters. So yeah, I, I don't. I, I I find it difficult to think that the three families are playing together if you're if you're two meters apart. Yeah. Exactly, aye. You know, and I think about funnily enough, my my two seven boys, and by, That's where seven and by can make its comeback. No campaign it? for. Could it? Ah, you, you can stay. You can stay far away. Yeah. From each other playing that. Like he's always oh. doing is cross the ball, heading the ball. There you go. But I, I don't think you're even allowed to share the same ball. I'm not uh, sure. Uh, are you, oh, are you surely not now? Well, the goalkeepers are wearing gloves. You certainly and, shouldn't be heading it anyway. Well, it depends what you're uh, good point. Yeah, well, if, depending what age you are, they shouldn't be doing it heading anyway. That's an interesting one. What do you make of that situation? Was that something that you get much kind of saying, or where was the decision making there on it? Andy, yeah, Andy's, Andy's like, since Andy took over head of football development, he's just been magnificent. He's been he's at heading band. He's now no getting kids playing football because of COVID. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he's got something else on his record as well. So he's had a tough time of it. No, I think. Listen, it's uh, if if the kids the kids, you know, I, I don't know the scientific facts. You know, the people speak a lot better than I will. But you know, if, if those young skulls are just forming then it, to me it just makes it makes bloody sense it makes bloody yeah. so much sense that if you're young if you're growing you know and, and our chief um medical officer or whatever his title is dr john mclean who works you know with the scottish fa you know and i, I remember john saying it's, it's not to ban it if you know banning it would banning it outright would do more harm than good because they've got yeah. to get used to technique they've got to somehow get used to technique so it's just it's just you know, and so this again, it's people. I, sometimes I think a lot of people they maybe overreact. You hear, you know, I, I saw it. You know, as I said, my, my wee fellas under eight team, and you know, somebody kicks the ball high. The ball's going to go high. Of course, it's going to go high. Yeah. At one point, it's going, it's going to go high. Whether it hits somebody, or ricochets off someone else, or hits a crossbar or whatever, and bounces back, somebody heads it. Oh, stop the game! Stop the game! It's not, about, <laughs> it's not about stopping the game, though. It, the wee fellas headed it. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. It's it's the repetitive nature of, of putting yeah. them in drills yeah. and practices mm-hmm. to head the ball and head the ball and head the ball and head the ball. That's that's what we're trying to get away from. It's not this, you know, no head height rules and, and stuff like that. So it's not I don't think it's a huge overreaction. And I think it's it's probably the best way of saying it is is that it's absolutely age appropriate. The age of five, to be fair, I've got my, my son's five, um, and mm-hmm. you know that says that it should be learning how to use the ball with his feet first um, oh, before boy. he goes on to um, heading the ball. I mean, I might throw a five at his head to. <laughs> but, aye, that, that, um, but... and that's that's right. And that's maybe just the technique thing, you know. And if mm-hmm. if you do one of them, that, that's probably that's maybe enough. But at least you know that flyaway is not going to do him any harm. But throw a size three or a size four at him, a leather football, and and that's a different story. That's a different ball game. And a mold master. Oofed. I know, I'm a mold master. Imagine that on a Saturday morning. That was horrific. <laughs> the old blaze pitches. Oh, the red blaze pitches. And I might have mold master scalping off your thighs. That was nice. <laughs> Would have been our best chance of beating Brazil, to be fair. 
on a red blaze pitch, an icy red blaze pitch, and a Saturday and a Saturday morning in December. Yes. <laughs> in Irvine. <laughs> in Irvine, I used to get that. Oh, I used to get that big red mark in your thigh. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, see, just uh, aside from the kind of coaching side of things, what's uh-huh. your kind of early memories of getting involved in football? Early memories of getting involved. I don't know if I ever wasn't involved. Um, I think I always remember my mother telling, and I don't know if it was just a story she used to tell. Ah, that boy there, he had ingrown toenails. As soon as he could walk, he was kicking a ball about. And I, I probably was. I probably was. But I always think back to here's one for you. You, you guys will love this one. You ever, you ever in the BB? I was in the scouts. Uh, like this. Sorry, that's scouts. Ah, you were a scout. So the scouts and the BBs kind of never got on, did they, John? You were neither, no. Nah, no, must have been. Ah, that's just weird, isn't it? That's just weird. <laughs> anyway, if you, you, pro, you maybe remember the story. I cannot remember the number, and I wish I could. But in the BBs, there used to be, when you got to the senior section, I think something like the, the, the starting 11 couldn't couldn't be any more. When you added up everyone's age in the starting 11, it couldn't be any more than, let's say, 260. Right? Just okay, okay. Right? So you think about it. So you had... Couple of sixteen-year-olds in there, a couple of eighteen-year-olds, because that was, you know, if you're in the BB at that age, you know, so you sixteen and before you know, two hundred six is probably too much. Even if let's say one hundred and sixty, so yeah. before you before you're, you know, you've got ten players at sixteen, you're already at one hundred and sixty. Shit, we need to play a couple of fifteen-year-olds to bring the age group down. Aye. So because I was decent at football, I think I was playing with these sixteen-year-olds, and they were like grown men to me at the time, but I was maybe only ten or eleven. You know, I was still in primary school. Okay, come and play for us. But that kept the age range down. And I, I, got, I got to play it right back. But what a great... You know, we were talking about mixed age play earlier. We mentioned mixed age play and the benefits of mixed age play. You know, you think back to those those old BB rules. It was just fantastic because all these kids were playing with older players and younger players because yeah. they had to get this magic number to try and align to, to, to let them take the... And I used to love it. Watch the wee man, watch the wee man. I was never a wee man. I've always been a big guy for my age. You know, I was never a wee man. But when I played these games on a Saturday afternoon, I was always a wee man. I just thought it was just absolutely magnificent. So that's a great memory for me. I used to play my game in the morning, go home and watch uh, St. Greavesy. And then when, when Giant Haystacks was coming on just after St. Greavesy, that's when I knew I had to go and play my next game. Because See, there we go. You can't even listen to the podcast, but we, we usually like a wee wrestling reference as well. So, oh, do you really? Undertaker, Undertaker supposedly retired. Well, you and Chris do. Oh. Oh, I've, I've not kept up with it. <laughs> um, but I, again, again, I was in the earlier, they kind of you go down the park and get a game of football. It was, it was all mixed mm-hmm. groups. Like, we, I would play big folk in my street, and it was ages going from maybe 11 to 16, a bit similar to that, or a Saturday night, and right. inevitably you would go down. And you'd get the guys coming in, the, the older boys, with a, they'd have a, a, wee few, a few drinks and all that. And you played football against them, and because they'd had a few drinks, yeah. I think you could, it was more of an even game. <laughs> I always used to love the 10 20 winner. But you always used to have a 10 20 winner, didn't you? And you, you know, it was, you'd swap halves after 10, and it was the first to 21. It was just brilliant. And I always remember. <laughs> Was it Saturday? Saturday nights, obviously, and you know, if you if you stayed in an area where there was maybe Catholics and Protestants, you know, and the Catholics would all bugger off to go to chapel, it would be twenty five a side. But then the Catholics would all go to chapel, and it would be left just for the Protestants. So that twenty five a side might become bloody ten versus eight for an hour, 
you think, God, bloody hell, we need these boys, <laughs> need these boys back. When are they coming back? When are they coming back? And you would try and hold the score so that you, or you would maybe just cancel it so that they could go to chapel and then get back and then you would keep playing again. So there was, there was all these things that, you know, we've spoke about a couple of times that just don't happen anymore. Just doesn't happen anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, playing football until your mum shouts in for dinner and then back it, um, right. and you have to join into the other team, maybe. Because right. the scores That's went right. like 21-2. Yeah. <laughs> kids, kids that used to dribble a football to school, you know, because mm-hmm. even, like even my wee boys in school, like, the school, I think, is it, one of them, I think they only get football in the playground like one day a week each. It's like, what? oh, it's not, our, it's not our turn to play today. And I'm going, what? Do you mean it's not your turn? Oh, the primary threes got a Tuesday. And they're, can you not just go and play with primary threes? No, I'm not allowed. Not, what do you mean? Just go and play with them. Just go and play with them, for God's sake. Ah, you, so, just, you used to end up with like three or four games across this playground again, right, and then you'd end up in someone else's game by accident. That's right, that's right. Aye. And that was the beauty of it, wasn't it? And there was a lot, I, I look back on that as well, and you think about it, you think about all the kids now that get bibs. Kids get uh-huh. bibs at training. You know, this is the thing about coaching again earlier. You know, we, we want to put the kids in bibs. That's a red team, and that's a team, and that's a fluorescent orange, and that's a fluorescent yellow, and that's that, and that. Well, for God's sake. Basically, we used to all wear the same school uniform, and it was 25, Aye. you know, it was it was however many aside it was, but you knew who was in your team. Aye. Or you had to bloody get to know who was in your team. Aye, and you all had the same, exact same gear on, but I just wondered, are we taking some of the game awareness the kids as well? And certainly when I work with the wee fellas, grassroots teams, they've all got different strips on, they've all got their favourite strips on. Just let them play. Don't want, and you bring the bibs out. Don't want the bibs. So why are we forcing them to put the bibs on? But they'll know who's in each other's team. So you maybe, you maybe wonder, does that just help a little bit with you know, the game awareness rather than putting bibs and bibs and bibs on them and fancy colours and stuff? Yeah, uh, totally agree. It's interesting about how you could try and bring that street football element back into football somehow. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot. Difficult. I think there's a lot of ways to do it. Aye, no, but there's it's it's difficult. But there's a lot of ways to do it. A lot of ways to do it. And, and this is the thing as well. You know, we're talking about as a coach. You know, we talked about that earlier. And some just what did they want to do? We used to make games up, didn't we? Yeah. When the yeah. kids. Oh, Kirby. You know, <laughs> Ah, Kirby and Wally and all those games, you know, just let the kids play what they want to play. Let them come up with a game. But it's this, it's got adult feels that they're reporting and they're in charge. They don't need to necessarily be in charge. The kids can decide what they're playing and you just help them oversee it and facilitate it as best you can for them. I definitely. Did you go to much football then yourself when you were younger as well? Like games? Oh, my dad's a part of Thistle Man, so my dad used to drag me. My dad used to drag me everywhere. My son. Breaking away and all these kind of glamorous places. That was, that was me when I was young. So, Aye. when we spoke about it just before we started recording, didn't we? I was kind of grew up in that era, that era when Aberdeen were doing well and the, you know, they were telling you it was that kind of new firm. Remember, they used yeah. to be replays with the United, about four <laughs> replays against the United all the time. <laughs> and um, the new firm. And I, that was that was kind of it. So, you know, me and my pals used to fight over who was John Hewitt and who was Derek Black or whoever else in the yeah. in the playground. And then my dad had me, he was a thistle man, so he had me, no, son, you're, you're a thistle man. Who are you supporting that Aberdeen for? You're, you're coming here. So that was me. <laughs> That used to take me, whether it was Fur Hill or... We, I used to enjoy it, I used to love it, going to all these away games. 
Um, and would always bring a pal with me, which was good. My dad would always be one of his pals, and then you know there'd be two or three, me and me and another one or another two in the back seat, and away we'd go in all these, as I say, glamorous trips to to Brechin and Cowdenbeath and whatever <laughs> else for to watch Partick Thistle. We had a, a throwback. Was it a couple of weeks back? Scotland and the Euros. What was your first Scotland tournament? Remember World Cup buys or Euros? I think the, the first, my probably earliest memory was. And this is, I, I'm terrible with years as well. You know, you've got people that be able to rhyme off years. It was probably Italia 90. So I was, four, yeah. was a 14. A 14, although I remember going to my granddad's and watching watching Mexico 86 as well. I remember England games, not, not necessarily the Scotland games at that, that tournament for, for maybe obvious reasons. But um, yeah, Italia 90 was probably the first one where I, I remember being at home, sitting myself down and consciously saying, Scotland are playing or whoever's playing here and I want to watch this game. You know, by the time I was probably that kind of 14, as I say. 13, I'd have been 13 now. Yeah. That was your first one, wasn't it, John? But as I you a bit older. Italian 90, yeah. Um, yeah, I was nine at the time. There's certain games that I remember. Unfortunately, I remember a couple of the Scotland games. But um, yeah, that was. See, when you look back in that tournament, the, a lot of the games weren't particularly great. There was a few penalty shots. Um, there were teams that were even this back in '99, like Argentina were playing anti-football to get to the final, and half of Germany beat them in the final. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, but I think it's I think a lot of people hark back to that because it's the first one for for people of our generation. I see. I'm bad. I'm as I said. I'm bad remembering games. Can't remember games. Can't remember scorelines. Can't remember who won what. But it's, it's probably experiences live with me more than anything. Um, mm. In Euro, what was Euro '96 in England? Was it? Yeah. France '98. Mm-hmm. Euro '96 was the first one. I was probably part of the Tartan Army. Nice. That'd be about right. It was a bit right. Was that right? What was 94? 94 was America. America. Ah, you went in it. Yeah. So 96 would have been my first one to England, I. My first one. And that was getting tickets for Wembley was just was just great. Getting a penalty and me and my mates had all chipped in. <laughs> we'd all chipped in for a flag. I'm living in Clarkson. My family stayed at Clarkson at the time. So we chipped in for this big, huge 10 foot flag. And we'd get Clarkson written along it. When I say written along it, by the way, it was nicely embroidered. I think we chipped in about 30 quid each. <laughs> a huge flag. And I was in charge of the flag for the Wembley game. And, uh, of course, my mate's sitting beside me. It was just the two of us that managed to get tickets for Wembley. I says, grab you know, thingy, was it, who got brought down? Was it Jury? Jury get brought down, aye. Jury get brought down. I says, grab that in, grab that in, grab that in. No, he says, no, no. He says, no yet, no yet, no yet. I said, grab, fucking grab that. We'll be fine here. <laughs> bloody hell bloody hell I used the flag I, I remember I remember seeing Seaman save it by the way did he save it he dived the wrong way didn't he he hit his legs I remember seeing it hit Seaman's legs a blood was it his elbow was it yeah it was his elbow mm-hmm. his elbow and then I put my head in the flag this 10 foot flag I put my head in the flag and then I heard this almighty roar Lifted my head just to see Gaza chipping the ball over Colin oh, Andrew yeah. and then smashing it in. It's just bulb, and that was me. <laughs> and then the fans were nuts. The fans were absolutely nuts at half time. Absolutely nuts at half time. You'd think we well, were winning, but that was, of course, that mm-hmm. was the second half, wasn't it? But um, the fans, it was a. So that was my first. That was my first big tournament. Was you used to travel to a lot of kind of away games as well as going to home games? Used to travel to as many as I could. Yeah, 
used to travel to as many as I could. It was all about the point system at the time. You know, yeah, aye. Working with the Scottish FA, I don't think I was at that time. Um, so I used to have good, I used to have decent points that got me to a few, or you'd always know somebody. Yeah. Maybe get them a ticket. You know, this was before you know all the nonsense from electronic checking and everything like that. So you could always say, John, can you? You want a ticket, and that would get your points up, which would help you then get tickets yeah. for a tournament or whatever. Well, you'll be in trouble you when you go back to the SFA. We don't edit out. We don't edit anything as well. So you're you're stuck off. SFA employer in points harvesting controversy. Siobhan will be after me. That's for garters. What's your favourite What's that? Your favourite away trip. Favourite away trip. There's a. There's a good question. Um, France, France '98 was was excellent. France '98 was excellent. Just how close we came as well. Saying how close we came, we ended up getting bloody gubbed by Morocco, didn't we? We never came that close, but it just felt just felt we were so close. But I think France because that was my first abroad one, and it, it was it was the, again the whole experience um, rather than just rather than just a one game trip. Um, <laughs> Bloody, was it Holland? Remember Faddy scored against Holland? We beat Holland 1-0. Yes. Mm-hmm. And across to Amsterdam. Bloody hell, that was a painful, painful trip. So, no, so France, France 98 and being at, you know, when we, when we drew, was it, we drew in Norway. See, I told you I wasn't very good. Yeah, yeah we drew in Norway. Yeah. We drew in Norway, and then, mm-hmm. and then we blew it. And we blew it against Morocco. Turned out Morocco were the ones that went out in goal difference rather than us for a change. So we had a wee bit of sympathy for Morocco after that. (laughs) (laughs) So we move on to what we call the the quick fire stuff, but it's now going to be the slow fire stuff. We kind of started with it anyway, I suppose, with these last few questions. But I usually like to ask some fun questions at the end. No, I I like that, but I'm never the best memory, man. I'm never the best memory for things like that. Terrible. (laughs) Well, you're uh, obviously um, head of coaching ed- um, education development, so we've got to ask and be health conscious. What's your favourite fruit? My favourite fruit. Oh, what? That's a new question. I've not answered. This question's never been asked before. It's usually never. what's your favourite curry? What's your favourite beer? Oh, that's a hell of a. I've decided, I've decided to throw it in because he's an SFA player. <laughs> and fruit? God knows what my favourite. He never asked Paul this, by the way. A melt, a <laughs> strawberry, a strawberry. There you go. <laughs> Especially when it's on a cheesecake. <laughs> Good answer. Uh, what's your favourite beer? <laughs> my favourite beer. That man there was drinking. Were you drinking a Moretti? It was Moretti. Good, good eye. If you get a good pint of draft Moretti, you'll not go far wrong. Aye, I've seen a lot of people during lockdown with these. Uh, you can get the homemade pint coolers. Yes. The yes. sub, I think they're called Subwell, so I'm tempted for one. I don't like a pint, though. I like a can or a bottle. Is that right? I've never, been, a fa- I've never been much a fan of a pint. I used to find that a pint would gash you up more. Aye, well, that's true. That's true. But, uh, Come on, uh, what's the next one? I'm liking this right. now. I'm liking this. Come on. Aye. There are no all food-related questions, but what we always we ask usually this one as well because it's football. What's your favourite pie? My favourite pie? Aye. Oh, for God's sake. I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I don't think I'd choose a pie. Sausage roll instead. Ah, maybe go for a sausage roll or just a plain old mince pie. I'm, I'm not a big. I wouldn't say I'm a big pie man. <laughs> Although during lockdown, I've made I've made pals with my local butcher. I must admit, and uh, there's a wee bit of difference, isn't there? There's a wee bit of difference mm. between the quality of a butcher meat and the quality of mm. a supermarket meat. 
Yeah, oh, I do. And uh, he does pies. And so I've, I've, I'm saying I've, I've not used pies, but I've just been eyeing them up in the butchers as I've been going, and he makes a good pie. You can't get pie. a steak pie from the butchers. A shredded pie, a steak pie. A mince rounds up there as well, but again, that is good. I, I, you know, for, for a dinner that used to be when we were younger, eh? Yes. A, mm. a mince, a round. What's for dinner tonight, mum? Half a mince round and chips, brilliant. Aye. brilliant. I, I still have that now and again. I like my healthy meals as well, but I do like oh, it. Aye. But I, the, the butchers up there, all to me. You get your chicken and they'll they'll flavour it wherever you want as well. Aye, so chicken, Thai, whatever you like, brilliant. Happy days. It's proper, proper chicken. It's not that injected with water and everything like that. You've got me. Aye. You've got me on my favourite subject now, and that's food. That's Definitely. Um, favourite players growing up. Favourite players growing up. Coisty always springs to mind. But Gaza, Gaza for me, joint Rangers was just frightening. And the arguments I used to have with one of my best pals, it you know, it was just the Gaza and Loudrop debate. Just used to rage all the time because they were two fantastic players that we were just. I think blessed to have in this country. Yeah, I think the age that all of us are, we're all kind of quite privileged to have seen that era of, of football. Yeah. Much as for an Aberdeen fan, it was hard to watch uh, Rangers doing so well, but even the likes of Arsenes and all that, and the players, oh. Hillhouse, Aberdeen, mm-hmm. different things like. Yeah, Hillhouse. Some great players in Scotland, it's crazy. Big Van der Ark up front with Hillhouse. Yeah. yeah. Hans Hillhouse was bought from um, European Cup winning PSV. Or oh, European Cup one the year before. You couldn't imagine that now. Oh no, no, that's a good <laughs> shout. You couldn't. You couldn't. Yeah, Aberdeen will go say Manny. <laughs> no chance. Money, <laughs> <laughs> uh, money's a wee bit different the game now, isn't it? Just a, a bit, bit, yes. <laughs> um, what's the best football stadium you've been to? Oh, that's a question. Best football stadium. Do you know what? Do you know what was fantastic when I was in Ireland? The Aviva Stadium when it was redone it was fantastic. I was there for the 2015 qualifying game. Maloney game. Mm-hmm. So Maloney scored equalised in the second half. Yeah, I was, I was, I was always a must admit, I was always quite jealous of that. Um, I, I said to you earlier on, I was, I was probably blown away by the the industry of football in Scotland for that period of time when I was working in, you know, or when I came back from working in Ireland. But um, mm-hmm. I, I remember them developing in the eight-year period I was there. I think it was redeveloped maybe three or four years into my tenure there. Mm-hmm. I just thought this is bloody incredible for a country mm-hmm. that you know football might not be the first sport. This is just yeah. a bloody amazing mm-hmm. football stadium. You know, I, I know it's it's equally owned by the FAI and and the uh, IRU, the, the rugby union. But um, oh, what a brilliant what a brilliant stadium that is. That is a great stadium. It was a good atmosphere that day. Um, although I still think that result cost us a place at Euro 2016 but that's a story for another day um, that, wait a minute wait a minute that result will cost us a place at Euro 2016 aye, I think it aye, did sorry, yes. yeah. do you think we needed to win I think we went with the mentality of um, a draw will do and yeah. we ended up losing to Georgia the next game Ireland then overtook us and then Ireland going beat Germany Ireland beat Germany was a big one no, that's the yeah, one and we drew with Poland so um, yeah between that game and the Georgia game I think cost Tell us in my opinion would you have subbed Sean Maloney at half time? Against Ireland? Mm-hmm. No. Oh, you would have. Watch the game back. Watch the game back. He was non existent. But here's the amazing thing he was told to be non existent. How good's that? Mm. Strachan had told him to be non existent in the first time. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting. I just, yeah. I just, I just, I just, there's a story I've, I've heard. There's a story I've heard. He told him to create confusion. 
to create confusion. Ah, right. Be very difficult to pick up. Wasn't too bothered about him getting the ball. He just wanted them to create confusion. And then he shaped it up a wee bit differently in the second half. Bang, gets a goal. What, five minutes in the second half, something like that? Yeah, it's like a couple of minutes. But um, no, Matt Rich, who was even the player I had, took off at halftime for Anya. Um, but Anya came on. I can't remember who he came on for, but in the day we got a draw, but it wasn't good enough. Um, Ach, it's always Georgia, Georgia, and things like that always does us in, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. What are you saying? Are we getting through the playoffs? I'm turning the questions on you guys now. Are we getting through the playoffs? <laughs> Aye, the interviewers are coming. The interviewees. Um, I think we'll. I, I think we'll beat Israel. I'm not too confident about Norway or Serbia, but who knows what's going to happen to you now in October? And I just hope that we can get to the game because I, I was supposed to be going to the Israel game, but right. it's not looking yeah. good right now. No, no. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I was supposed to go as well, but I think I've ended up potentially messing myself up because summer holidays have been cancelled, obviously because of the COVID thing. So I'm thinking, the wife's a teacher, let's try and go in October. And then went, oh, I'll be that's when the Scotland game's on, but we'll see what happens. Because I'll, I'll tr- uh, all the Kippy cans would for all we know again. But... No, it could be. It could be. In October, no, it's the November one, they're talking about two or three games, isn't it? I, I think it's two games in September, three in October, three in, uh, if we win against us, it's three in November. It's... Yeah, okay. Crazy. Um, I, I I think it should have been put to March personally, but UEFA and FIFA rule. So, yeah. yeah. I suppose the only thing about that time of period is if we're playing too many games together, Scotland, then there's a chance of building that more team spirit you want that, that you don't get normally. And that's his own. Aye, aye, and that's that's what he's got to try and build. But I wonder as well, you know, you maybe look back and I think McTominay was injured, McGinn was injured. Yeah. So you just think, I wonder. I wonder will that have a bearing in time? Tierney was injured at the time. Mm-hmm. You will that again? Will that have a bearing? Yeah. Um, so time will tell. Yeah. Uh, big uh, McKenna was think. injured. Your big centre half at McKenna, McKenna was injured as well, wasn't it? So we're missing a few players. So I just um, I hope that maybe stands us in better stead. Yeah. The only worry is that Griffiths was in fire for Celtic at that point. You just got to hope he rediscovers that when Scottish football starts back up. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sticking with the COVID um, situation, um, it's created a bit of time for podcasts and um, box sets, etc. What's been your favourite TV series or box set just now? No time to watch TV or box sets <laughs> at all. Sorry, I'm shaking my head there for the listeners. I was sitting shaking my head when you answered it. <laughs> it's something I don't get. It's something I genuinely don't get time for. But the last dance has been fantastic. Yeah, I watched the that. Last Dance has been fantastic. I think you know. I'm still not watched that. It's no, it's, really worth, it's worth watching. It's worth watching. Just the way they go about their business, and well, Jordan in particular goes about his business, and just that desire to to, to be the best is just mm-hmm. it's just fantastic. Um, me and the missus are probably I probably watched a lot. I'm not a big man for fiction, um, and that's why I like The Last Dance, and it's why I like those kind of documentaries type. And maybe me and the missus have been in a few kind of true life type war movies and you know Afghanistan and all that kind of thing just just amazes me just amazes me if you can get kind of true life movies on that so no but not a big one for for box sets I'm afraid I tend to get fed up or the mind wanders or the social media's pinging on the phone or something something's going on <laughs> my mind's yeah. too busy and you've uh, got your own podcast haven't you with the coaching is it yeah, we just we we've. I'm hearing you saying, what did you say? Season nine, episode sixty. Aye, we've been going for a while. Aye. 
Bloody hell, we've, we, episode 28, we released today with Stephen McManus. Episode 28. And that's been over two years, so you've done great. You've done yeah. great, turning, turning through. Uh, we, go every, we go every week. Um, but actually this season, yeah, we've done even more. We've tried to make it a bit different by getting guests on like yourself, and we're enjoying it. It's given a bit of a, mm-hmm. a different dynamic and freshness mm-hmm. to it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's summer when they continue into next season as well. Yeah. Um, so how many have you done in total then? You're up a couple hundred, obviously, are you? We must have done well. We, we probably average, I would say, about 50 a season, I would say. So we must have done, what, nine? 500. Maybe no far off, eh? Oh, there must be a there must be a but, kind of some five hundred. But there's a there's a problem though that uh, usually we get Chris on as well that does the podcast, and the nine seasons is tied in with Celtic winning nine in a row. So we're wondering whether we should take a break for a season just so that Celtic don't win the league. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a the thing you guys should be able to stop that though. You Aberdeen fans should be able to stop that surely. Yeah, you would like to. Love to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You, you need to stop them in the Scottish Cup semi-final this time. Surely, yeah. goodness, you've got to beat Mohamedan soon. We've been saying that for the last four years, Greg. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> every time we think the next time we think we might, this must be our time, and it slips up again. Um, I, 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 Hamden, I think that's what we need. Hi. Maybe. I don't know what happened. Or not in Glasgow. That would be even better. Um, Come on, you must have a list of those quick-fire questions there, John. You keep looking down if you get more. Fruit. I've got, I've got one. What about your death row meal? What's your death row meal? Oh, death row meal. I like that one. I think that's a great question. My starter would be... Oh, starters? Uh, you're going starters? Christ almighty. Aye. <laughs> I, um, I like a kind of Spanish-style garlic and chilli prawns. Just in the, the chilli oil and the... Piri-piri. Aye, I'm with you. Aye, aye. Just that nice, simple gambas, peel peel aye. That. Aye. I think I've made main course. See, it's difficult for me sometimes just to be a classic cheese. See if you get a really good cheeseburger. A really good cheeseburger? I'd go for a steak. I would go for a steak, but I'm a, I'm a sucker for a really good... Or a, having said that, and a good Indian curry as well. See, I'm all over mm. the place with food. I'm all over the place yeah. with food. I had, a curry, I had a curry last night for a Father's Day. It was really good. A lamb curry. Right, Nice. Aye, I don't want a curry for a while. I've been trying to be good. Stay off the curries, but see, aye, it was. See, I love a good old fashioned korma. I know it's very mild. But well, just, I was just, we're just all agreeing on cheesecake for dessert, though, are we? No, I, I'm not a dessert. I'd go sticky toffee oh. pudding if I was pushed. Right, I'm not okay. a dessert person. Maybe okay, sticky here's, toffee here's pudding. Here's another one for you. Sunday, twenty. Well, I'm trying to work out your ages here. 25 years ago, your mum and dad are taking you for a wee day out to the beach, right? You're getting a wee day trip down to Mabel. I don't think there's even a beach in Mabel, is there? But you're getting a wee trip to Mabel anyway. What's, what's playing in the car? What's playing in the car? What are your mum and dad putting on that cassette deck? Well, my parents are split up, so my mum would be driving me to the beach with, with probably some like Barry Manlow in the, the background knowing her. And that's what she likes, yes. Yeah, so then your dad's taking and, you back um, to your mum's after that. What's he playing? And my dad... God, um, I don't know. I, I don't actually know my dad's taste. To be honest, he, he likes listening to a lot of. Um, he likes listening to like Five Live. So ah, right, okay. Okay. Was that about twenty-five years ago? Five Live was it? No, just about three. So. Was it not just three channels? Look, twenty-five years ago. Right, John, give us yours. I'd probably be getting a bit of the Beatles or uh, the Four Tops with a wee bit ah, of right, okay, diverse taste. But what about yourself? What, 
Dire Straits would be on one side. Carstates, aye. Mac would be on the other side. That was me. I think we'd back Dreams is a brilliant album. Aye, it wouldn't have been Dreams. It would have been... What was the one with the kind of reeds on the front cover? The river? Can't mind. Oh, sure. That's only the one I can kind of listen to, probably. Yeah, there's a good couple of questions you can throw. It is. We might use them actually from future for guests. Uh, it's good. It definitely one a... you could change though every day. I think what you have. You can. You can. Yeah, exactly. But we'll ask you um, the main question we ask Go all our guests. Showstopper. Um, your lifetime. Yeah, showstopper. Oof. Yep. Name, name the best eleven, and because you work with SFA, you're getting a Scotland eleven from your lifetime, from when you first started football to, to now. And manager. See, this, we had. If you listen to Paul's one, he did have a. He did have to get a better eleven, but you never knew where yours was going to be. I never even knew a club in a country. I wish I'd rehearsed this. Right, I'm going with Gorham and goals. I'm going old fashioned four four two because it's probably what I grew up when I quite like the 4 4 2. I'm going big Dunk up front. I think he should have played more for Scotland. I'll go Duncan mm. McCoyst up front, right? Big Duncan Ferguson and Alan McCoyst up front. And I've got my goalie, so I just need to fill, fill in round about it now, don't I? <laughs> Bloody hell. There's a question. He likes oh, watching folks squirm with this one. That's what he likes. <laughs> ah, this, is what recently. <laughs> like the, this is where we need to get one out in uh, visual so that folks can see your face as you ask this question. The, Aber- the, Aber- the, the kind of early day Aberdeen fan in me is, is tempted to go Miller and McLeish as my two centre-halves or centre-half, fit slash. Yeah. And then that's why I'm tempted to put Richard Goff at right back because I think Goff would have played... <laughs> yeah. To be fair, he could fill right back perfectly well. Terrific defender. Left back then. Do you know what? I love Andy Robertson just now. I'll probably go Mm -hmm. Andy Robertson. Mm -hmm. So what have I got? I've got Gorham, Goff, McLeish, Miller and Robertson. It's not a bad back five, is it? Aye, aye. I've heard someone else ask this question recently as well and they had Andy Robertson. It was actually um, Derek Gray's best 11 for Scotland. Mm -hmm. He went with Andy Robertson. I'm, I'm, I'll kick myself when I got off this though because I'm, I'm missing. I'm going to miss so many players. Um, and I'm squirming. You're right. I just loved. I loved Stuart McCall's industry. Yes. So I put him. He's my first pick in the middle of the park. And then I'm struggling because I probably want Gary Mack in there, mm-hmm. but I kind of want Paul McStay in there as well. So let's just kind of work through that. Can I think Gary McAllister go? played right mid at Euro 92, so you could get away with that. I was even thinking, could I go a diamond? Good. Mm, and, and, you know, a narrow type of... But that probably wouldn't work. Although Robertson could get up and down okay for me. Asking off, knows well, mm-hmm. but anyway. At least he maybe talk over to help him be a, a three a wee bit. Help me out with left hands and right hands. I'm, I'm thinking the, the one that's jumping John Collins, in, maybe, left John side. Collins, if you're going for a diamond eye, because he's more central, kind of tight mm-hmm. style player. Do you know what? There's a story. Remember, you were asking earlier, we're talking about Euro 96. I remember, Scott, was it Scotland? Holland was the first game. Mm-hmm. Am I getting this yeah. right? Yeah, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> and I remember John Collins with the ball and he beat he beat Bear Camp or something like that. He did a Cruyff turn and he beat Bear Camp and then he maybe dragged it back. And he didn't even move forward. 
that felt to me when I was watching that game that John Collins held the ball for about 25 seconds on his own. And then when I get back to the hotel that night with my mates and we watched the game back, <laughs> it was only about three seconds. <laughs> it just, it just felt, because he managed to do a drag back and a bloody Cruyff turn and all in one movement, you just thought, wow, he's, look at John Collins. He's got, anyway, John Collins is maybe a good shout. McStay. I used to break I used to break Paul McStay's lotto boots in for him. There you go. There's a claim of fame. Let's Aye, he was a size eight and I was a size eight, kind of eight or nine. And uh, he, I used to love those those lotto boots he had. Um, Aye. That was bloody hell. Who how, how am I getting on by the way? Who where, where am I? Uh, is that your lucky thing? Am I going Collins, McC- McCall, McStay? And McAllister. Oh, it's not bad, is it? It's Aye. It's a good diamond. I'll just give them all a free roll in there. I think they got away with it. McCall would probably just be the industrious wee kind of Rottweiler nipping at people. Mm-hmm. And the other three can go and play a bit. Aye. Aye. When you've Aye, got solid back four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just need your manager. My manager's Walter Smith. Walter Smith. Oh. That's Even though Hotspur and Brown take us to tournaments. Bloody hell, Craig Brown. If Craig's listening to this, he'll squint me around the ear. <laughs> ah, I see, see, Craig's fantastic and he's, Craig's been great for me as well in my career. I must admit, Craig's been brilliant. Um, no, I'll stick with Smith. Yeah, no. show, can he show bloody facial expressions on a podcast, though, can you? Can he see <laughs> the experiment? <laughs> Well, we might put this on YouTube, John. Um. Aye, I don't know why. Just a, a wee section of it or something like that. Aye, the bloopers. There you go. Aye, you know, good team. Who have I missed? Who have I missed? I've missed some crackers. Go on, throw some well, in there. Is. I mean, the goalie one's difficult because I think you know, you've got Gorman and Leighton, but the two of them are competing at the same time. And aye, aye. Maris has had that problem, um, which was a difficult one. I think they would be only two, I, I think, from my lifetime that you would consider. Yeah, we've been all right for keeping. Could argue McFadden because in a Scotland shirt, McFadden really turned it on. Um, um, Defence, I mean, I think Andy Robertson's world class. I'm only getting one player. Many world class players. I'm only getting one player from our current squad. Did, if you watched the Liverpool Everton game last night, I think Liverpool missed Miss Robertson. Definitely, yeah. But, I mean, I, I, I think he's probably the, he must be a, the best left back in the world. I think Aye. certainly one of because um, I like Marcello. He's getting older. He's not really in a game for the Amadeus now. You've got Alaba who was at Bayern, but he's now playing centre back because mm-hmm. they've got young boy Davies. So mm-hmm. I think it'd be hard to see by him. And it's nowhere like we've got we've had many world class players maybe over the last mm-hmm. twenty years. Otherwise, we'd be getting to tournaments. Mm-hmm. Yep. Aye. Yep. And maybe your um, coaches can help us find a couple of centre halves and a right back, and then a back four is absolutely fine. No, no. Do you know Steve Clark? First time I met Steve Clark, that's what he says to me. He says you're the head of coach education. Can you not give a right back? <laughs> you know, produce me a right back. I said Steve, he's a chance of winning the job two and a half year. When you go down, you were talking about Ireland earlier. Go down the Jack Charlton route. I try to just find someone with a granny that's Scottish or any kind of link. That's right. That's right. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a recent one I saw the other day. Ireland have capped, under, well, only we're talking, I'm saying capped here, under 15 level. Rudy Vata's son. 
All right, aye. So you remember Rudy Vata? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yep. What nationality was Rudy? Albanian. Albanian. Okay. Good. Okay. Married a Glaswegian. Yeah. When he stayed, right. when he played for Celtic, so married okay. a Scottish. I don't know if she was a Glaswegian. Married a Scottish girl, certainly. The wee fella was born in Scotland in Glasgow, and he's now playing for Ireland under fifteen. Irish Grand granny or something like that. Irish granny. So the Scottish mother had an Irish mother. Yeah. Scotland can still poach him if he's any good because that's what happened with Declan, Declan Rice that's exactly what aye, England did with Declan Rice aye. but that's yeah, I have the other way with Ray Houghton and um, there's a few we missed out on wasn't there Ray Houghton yeah. Ray Houghton and Coyle Tommy Coyne aye, um, driving them all off yeah. McCarthy off. was another one yeah James McCarthy but you mentioned this, Stuart McCall. He did a great story because um, he he was called up by both Scotland and England under 21s at the same time. In those days, Brilliant. as soon as you were on the pitch, that was you capped, and he Brilliant. regretfully Brilliant. picked England. And he just he was on the bench, and right. he just pissed a bit behind the goals, like, um, rolling up his socks, like doing slow jogs, etc. Did he not say he pretended he couldn't tie his shorts or something like that? Yes, I couldn't <laughs> tie his shorts. He tie his shoelaces. It's so about to go a minute ago and then the referee blew for full time and he says, don't call me up again. So, I love that story. <laughs> and it's not even his best story, which you're going because obviously there's an infamous falling off the car to elevate him. And he didn't smell a drop. That's the best bit about it. By the way, by the way, I, I've... I've not got the king in. I need to put the king in. I've need to put the glitch in. I need to go back. You need to oh, go back. Right, but, aye, but would that be in your, that would have been your lifetime, would it be, in terms of seeing nah, Scotland play? Well, that's the only thing. Do you know what? You're talking about great games. I, my, one of my first internationals I went to, I think the first I ever went to was the Rouse Cup. We get beat. Bloody Steve Bull scored two goals at Hamden. Oh, I remember that. Aye. But my dad took me to France. And I remember him saying, it's, it's Pishington tonight, son, we'll win. It's Pishington. And we beat France. Mo Johnson okay. scored an overhead kick. Or it wasn't quite an overhead kick, but it wasn't far off it. I think he scored his overhead kick against Cyprus, but he did score twice against uh, France, France that aye. night. Mm-hmm. Aye. Fantastic. Top player. Not got his call. Yeah, I've, I've, I've messed up. My first 11 shit. I've messed up. <laughs> I'd say your first 11 good. It's a good team. It's a good team. It's moving over. It's, it's impulse, isn't it? It's impulse and memory comes comes to comes to the fore. That's the beauty of it. I mean, um, I've, when we first did this with Phil Maguire, he he texts me the next day to say, I've had so much abuse out of the ones that I've missed out. <laughs> I suppose when you're, you're, you're stretching it to lifetime only, that, that makes a wee difference. That makes a wee difference. Yeah. Because otherwise we'd have the likes of Dennis Law in there and stuff like that. But yeah, aye, aye, aye. So King, King, King Kenny was, I just, do you know what? I'm trying to remember now. I must check. I don't know if I ever did see him live. Maybe, maybe that. Probably every single one of those players I saw live or I have seen live. Yeah, but actually, who's the best player you've seen live? Mm-hmm. Gaza. Gaza again. Even aside from other countries and all, still Gaza. Sudan. Sudan, frightening. Um, I'll tell you one. I'll tell you, this this is a wee bit different to actually seeing them live, but when I was in Ireland, um, <laughs> Steve McManaman came across to Ireland to do his B licence with us. Um, right, okay. him, and, him and Jason McAteer were big pals, so McAteer obviously been Irish. He was doing yeah. his licence courses and um, 
let me get this right now. Was, was McAteer's sister going out with Steve, or Steve's sister was going out with McAteer, or something like that? So they were big pals. And um, so the two of them come over together, and unbelievable, unbelievable. And we're just talking about training games here and setting up a practice. And Steve McManaman, I mean, oh, unbelievable. And he could make, he's playing with guys that are postmen and, you know, fishermen and goodness knows, <laughs> goodness knows what else, you know, and maybe decent League of Ireland players. And he just made every pass look unbelievable. And That's then him. he would sit on and have a pint with him at night. And he would, he would talk about Zidane's touch being phenomenal. And you're going, what? your first touch is phenomenal. And he's going, I know that. He says, I've got a decent first touch, but you should see Zidane's. And you're going, what? How can it be any better than yours? He goes, no, it's better. Uh, it's an interesting one. I think that Marvin was underrated for England. I think he was a great player. He used to glide past players. Uh, and do you mind? Also, we are majoring winning the trophies he did there as well. I think he's a very underrated player. Oh, hey, he played in the Champions League that, that Champions League final at Hamden with Zidane and Raul, etc. But he then missed it in England's World Cup squad that year. Is that right, did he? Yeah. You know too what? much. You know too much. I know. Much. Oh, he's, I'm he's, a he's got a great memory for all these things. I'm not good at playing it, but... <laughs> talking about players, that, that's, so that's something I've seen in the flesh. It's just, just a, wee bit, a wee bit different. But, so Gado. So Gado was in a big licence in Ireland as well. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Wasn't he getting a game at Blackburn at the time? Yeah, oh, seems crazy, aye. Ah, that was all to do with contract, wasn't it? If he, yeah. if he played one more game, it triggered, a, it triggered a new contract. And Steve Keane, that we know well now, that works with us, Steve just, Steve was just in a quandary, just couldn't play him. Just couldn't play him. But there's that, a, that's why we call it the slow fire stuff, because it tends to last about half an hour or so. <laughs> that's the longest slow fire, I think. No, aye. That's what's good. To, you end up getting a different... Different side of things. Out of 500 people, out of 500 episodes on the slowest, uh, that's good. That's <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, but I would like to thank you for your time you? in terms of coming on and getting in touch with us in the first place. No, it's been great. Thank you very much for uh, having me. It's been, uh, it's, been, it's been good being on. And if any of your colleagues want to come on, just again, get them, them our way. That'd be lovely. Yeah, when you get your black book, can you have a good contact list? <laughs> aye, aye. That. phone up. Uh, yeah, no, a pleasure having you on, Greg. No, listen, thanks very much for having me, guys. It's been great. It's been great. Uh, and all yeah, the great well, that's been, that you're doing. Yeah, Cheers. No, thanks very much, Greg. Take care. Okay, thanks, guys. Guys, thank you. That was good. Right. Cheers, I can't believe the time, by the way. I can't believe Enjoy the time. it. I did. Aye. I did, yeah. thanks. Aye. You don't realise how long it lasts sometimes. It's a good sign. Oh, that's great. You two are quite into just kind of chatting away, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We always uh, tell yeah, people yeah. an hour, hour and a half, and then like, Ali Graham was on recently. His dad told him, ah, it's normally just about an hour, and he was on for two hours. <laughs> it's great. Was it, was it ever enough? Well, what was that, an hour and 40 maybe? Oh, I didn't far off two hours, I. Good, good stuff. Right, yeah. I better go and say hello to the missus then. <laughs> <laughs> likewise. <laughs> Aye, likewise. Right, guys, thanks again. Brilliant. Thanks again. Cheers, Greg. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.